podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Has it been a while since you flipped that thermostat from heat to cool? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services before you do for an $88 AC start and check to make sure your AC is in tip-top shape. Griffith specializes in carrier, but services all brands. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today. Your local carrier expert. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. Ese último McNugget me toca a mí porque soy la mayor. ¿Y eso qué tiene que ver? Los mayores se respetan. Eso no existe, ¿cierto, mamá? Ya, quédense tranquilas. Aquí hay otra cajita de McNuggets. Respeto, ¿viste? El no hay rivalidad cuando hay McNuggets deal. Hay un deal para cada salida familiar en McDonald's. Compra uno de tus favoritos, como unos McNuggets de 10 piezas, una Big Mac, una Quarter Pounder with Cheese o un Fileo Fish y te llevas otro por un dólar. Por tiempo limitado, precios y participación pueden variar válido para un producto de igual o menor valor. Tonight we are previewing the Merseyside Derby this coming Sunday afternoon at Anfield. On tonight's show with us, once again for Liverpool, we have Jay Riley. Jay is a regular on the Radio City Fan Friday talk show, regular with us on the cop table, and uh, also does a little bit of writing for the Liverpool Echo. So, welcome back on, Jay. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. You know, a bit disappointed about the game against Paris, but, you know, looking forward to the derby on Sunday. So, let's hope we can redeem ourselves. Most definitely, yeah. And on the blue side of things tonight, once again representing Everton for us, we have Tony Scott. Tony is the Matthew Digital Reporter for the Liverpool Echo. Also does a little bit on Radio City Talk himself. And uh, you can check out Tony's tip of page at ScottyBetTV. And he's going to do a little um, little one at the end for us this week. And yourself, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. You okay, pal? I'm very well, thanks, Tom. And also with us tonight, we have a very special guest with us joining us from Denmark. We have Thomas Gronemark. Thomas is the specialised LFC throwing coach. Been working with us um, since the start of the season. So thanks very much for your time. Thomas, how are you? I'm fine. How about you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Okay, we're just going to go um, over to Jay first. We're going to speak a little bit about the, the game from... Um, from last weekend against Watford and a little bit about PSG as well. So, Jay, looking back at the Watford game, 3-0 victory, um, pretty solid performance. What was your thoughts on the game, please? Yeah, I mean, going into the game, I was expecting it to be quite tricky because he'd had quite a good season. They've done well at home. I mean, beating Spurs, hadn't they? And they were very unfortunate to lose to Manchester United. And you know, they were, I think, seventh in the table going into the game. And you know, I was expecting it to be tough at the back of the international break. But I thought Liverpool, we were today. I mean, in the first half, it was we didn't really create too many opportunities. In fact, probably for that best chance, didn't he? Pereira had the, the best chance, really. When he had a straight But um, to be honest, to be honest, we I thought Liverpool were. We're dominant, we're in control, but it did seem like it was one of them games where it passes by a little bit and we weren't really creating many opportunities and all of a sudden, you know, fantastic by Firmino, wasn't it, to set up Mane, who laid it on a plate really for Salah to, to put us in front and then after that, Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, we all know he's got that in his locker, hasn't he? I mean, I think he's struggled a little bit at times this season, certainly defensively, but... You know, we know that he's very good, his delivery into the box, you know, set pieces, corners, free kicks, and I mean, it was a fantastic goal, really, wasn't it? And basically, it was it was all over that moment he scored that goal, really, to make it 2-0. And yeah, Henderson got sent off, didn't he? Which I thought was a little bit harsh, really, because the first booking that he got shouldn't really have been a booking, really, because he got the shirt pulled off his back, really. So I think it was really harsh that he got the first yellow card and then, bit foolish really to do what he's done to get sent off though bearing in mind he was on a yellow card anyway and you were thinking then if Watford pull one back here now late into the game anything can happen can't it they'll pump high balls into Troy Deeney and what have you but Liverpool hit them on the counter attack and Firmino got his goal and I thought he was absolutely superb he was my man of the match on the day I thought and he's had a really poor season Firmino and I think he struggled to adapt to the 4-2-3-1 system 
he's played a lot deeper this this season so far and he's not really been himself but I do think he was very good against Watford and that's why you know it was a little bit disappointing his performance in midweek in Paris which we'll go on to in a bit but you know for me for me you know, it was man of the match on Saturday and you know when you went 3-0 away from home it's a fantastic result regardless of who you're playing and when you think about it, you know, as I said before, it was always going to be a tricky game because Watford are no mugs. They're not a bad side. They've got some good players. But, you know, to get the three points and keep tabs on Man City, it's exactly what we needed. And, you know, it's great going into this derby game now. Excellent. Cheers, Jay. Right. OK, just over to uh, Tony before we uh, get on to Thomas. Tony, what have you made of uh, Everton's start of the season and, and what's the, the difference, do you think, under uh, Marco Silva to the style of play to, to the previous managers? Well, it, it's been like a breath of fresh air to Evertonians this season. They've won four of the last six. You know, I think they've kept four clean sheets. And me personally, I was worried about the way Marco Silva was going to set up his defence. He's a big fan of Zonal Marking. But it's worked and Everton have scored goals off it, believe it or not, on the counter-attack. I think what Evertonians can relate to this season, there's an identity with the team now. They're winning possession a lot in the final third. I think the most in the Premier League, even above Manchester City, believe it or not. They've got width, they've got pace. And most of all, which helps, they've got quality footballers now, which replaced the ones from last year. So it all helps, doesn't it, when you've got width and pace in the team and an identity. And Marco Silva's plan seems to be working so far. So I think they got off to a shaky start early doors. They were... Two two draws away at Bournemouth and Wolves on the opening day, and they both reduced down to ten men. But since then, they've picked up. They've had some tough games away from home. I think after they played Liverpool on Sunday, they've played four of the top six away from home. So they've got quite a lot of winnable games at home after that. I think they've got Newcastle and Watford coming up soon. So I think they've got a lot of the big sides away out the way early doors. So we'll only stand them in good stead towards the end of the season. Great stuff. Cheers, So, OK, then, Thomas, over to yourself. Um, first of all, when uh, you got the, the call from, from Jürgen Klopp, what was your initial reaction? And um, when you was appointed as the, the specialised throwing co- coach at Liverpool, um, how did the players um, react to your appointments? Was the, um, was the forthcoming? Was, was, the, was the heavily involved? What was the, the thoughts on that? Yeah, first of all, it was was a fantastic experience to get a call from from Jurgen. It was totally uninspected, and uh, yeah, always dream of uh, coaching in in Premier League and especially in Liverpool because I've always been a fan of Liverpool. So that was fantastic. But I would say that uh, the players have been uh, receiving me uh, fantastically. I started to, to say that 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 there are approximately forty to fifty throw-ins in a match. Uh, most teams lose the ball in in, in more than fifty percent of the occasions uh, when when we have a throw in under pressure. And then I also said that we are not going to make Liverpool Stoke number two. It's not about making a lot of long throw ins. It's it's more about these I call them the the, the fast and the clever throw ins. So so I'll say that that, that every player have been uh, yeah really been positive and serious about the coaching. And then about Jurgen and, and the others. Staff around around the team. Uh, sometimes uh, they just watch the training, but often they are participating in the training and, and doing some of the exercises themselves because they want to to learn the, the things the players learn. So that's fantastic. Yeah, and obviously you spoke then about the the shorter throw-ins and the longer throw-ins. It's not just about the throw-in itself. Is it about the the space the players are making for the throw-in and the, the way they're receiving the ball? Yeah, that's very important for the, because most teams in, in Premier League, but also in, in the Champions League and every other league in the world, they're standing pretty still when uh, when when they have a throw in, and, and that's one of the things we know that if if you can create more space between the players, then there's a greater chance of of keeping possession. And and a lot of teams are losing the ball uh, in more than fifty percent of the occasions when when there is a throw in under pressure. And as Jurgen said himself, they. They had a pretty good season, but they were very bad at the throw-in. So I'm very delighted to help the club, and I'm also very proud that Jürgen has said that uh, yeah, they've, they've made big improvements. So so I'm pretty satisfied. Brilliant stuff. Thanks, Thomas. Okay, yeah, we're going to get back over to you for more of an insight um, into your your field in uh, in a few moments. Well, 
got looking back to last night's game, Jay, um, PSG, it wasn't just the, the team performance. It, it, it was the, the manner of the defeat, wasn't it? It was, it was the way that, that we played. It wasn't, it was by far, um, one of our worst performances this season, in my opinion. But in your opinion, can you, can you nail down why we've been so bad on the road in, in the Champions League this season? Obviously, we haven't scored in the two previous games. I think we've had five shots on target. What's your thoughts on that, please, Jay? Well, I mean, going into the game last night, I was always expecting it to be a tricky tie. I mean, you know, when the draw came out and we knew we were going to be up against Paris Saint-Germain, Napoli and Red Star Belgrade, I always looked at the Paris Saint-Germain game in the Parc de France as being, you know, the, the, the most difficult game that we were going to have. So... To lose the two away games prior to that against Napoli, you know, the, the performance in Naples, as we've spoken about, was, was shocking, really. I mean, it came out the blue because Liverpool didn't have a shot on target against Napoli. It was, it was, you know, very, very strange from Liverpool because it's not what we're used to. If you look back to all of last season, even the start of this season, it just come out the blue. It came from nowhere and we never really created nothing. We never got going on the night. And I know Napoli scored in the last minute and, you know, you're looking at it thinking, well, you know, what if, if we would have held out for another couple of minutes, we'd have, it would have been a decent point away from home. But when you lose that game, the Red Star Belgrade performance away from home to me, was was an absolute shambles, really. I mean, they're simply not a good side. We beat them four 0 at Anfield. Paris Saint Germain beat them six one in a part of France, and we, as we've seen the other night, I mean, Napoli beat them three one at home, didn't he as well? So you know, we all know they're not a very good side at all. And I thought Klopp really, in the notion that Liverpool had already lost the game in the Champions League group to Napoli, to then go and play a weekend side as he did in Belgrade was unacceptable, really, and we got exactly what we deserved. So when you lose that game, you're going into this game now against Paris Saint-Germain when they know full well they had to win that game. And, you know, it, it was a massive ask for Liverpool. And, you know, I, I had my doubts going into the game and we just started off really poorly, didn't we? I mean, the midfield supremacy, I mean, we give Verratti too, far too much time in the middle of the park and we all know what a good footballer he is. I mean, he's a snide as well, by the way, and he should have been sent off for a disgraceful challenge, really, on Joe Gomez. And as you said before, the, the refereeing performance was a disgrace, but Liverpool's performance in the first half was just unacceptable, really. And, you know, no lessons have been learned from the defeat in Naples and the defeat in Belgrade. And, you know, it, it was very worrying, really, the first half performance where we just got overrun, really, and every single time Paris Saint-Germain come forwards, you know, we looked like they were going to score. I mean, even after 20 seconds, Cavani nearly got in, and it set the tone, really, in the first half, and we were very poor. I mean, it was a defensive mistake, really, wasn't it, for the first goal? Midfield was non-existent, and when you've got Wijnaldum, Milner and Henderson, it's all very workmanlike, but, you know, none of them are very quick, are they? None of them are very creative, and we just got overrun, and you know, it was a little bit of a mistake, really, by Van Dijk as well, wasn't it? And then they scored, they punished us. And then soon after they went 2-0 up, it was a bit of a counter-attacking goal, really, wasn't it? And Neymar finished it off. And, you know, to me, as soon as it went 2-0, I just had no hope or optimism that we were going to get back into the game. And we got that decision right on half-time. A bit of a lifeline, really, wasn't it? A penalty. And James Milner slotted it on his 150th appearance for the club. And... You know, he's very reliable in them situations. You know, he's a very good penalty taker, isn't he? As his record proves. And second half, you were open for a little bit more. And I do think that we did improve second half. I thought we were the better side in the second half, really. Control the game a little bit more, a little bit better. But we didn't really create enough opportunities. And, you know, as you said there before, you know, five shots on goal, shots, shots on target, sorry, in three away Champions League games. And, you know, there's massive underlying problems there. I mean, the midfield's far too weak. It's not good enough. There's no creativity there. But the problem was, who'd you play? Who'd you start in, instead of them three? Because, you know, Naby Keita and, and Fabinho have, have struggled to adapt and struggled to settle at the club, really, haven't they? And when they have been given that opportunity, they've not exactly covered themselves in much glory. I mean, Fabinho's done OK in games, but he looked absolutely horrific. In the, in the big game he played in against Arsenal at the Emirates, looked like a fish out of water. And then you're looking at Naby Keita, his career so far, Liverpool's just been very disjointed. He's been in and out of the side through, you know, little niggles here and there, injuries and what have you. And, you know, he, he just, 
I, I don't know. I mean, when you spend forty million on Fabinho and you spend fifty-two million on Kater, ninety-two million pounds on two players, you just expect a little bit more, don't you? I mean, I know we're twenty-three, three or four months into the Liverpool careers, and we were all hoping that they'd settle and adapt a little bit better than that they have. And you know, when you pay that type of money, you expect a little bit more as well, don't you? Now, look, you can't write the lads off. You know, you've, they've got to be given more game time and maybe a better run in the side as well. But it is a slight concern, isn't it, really? Because midfield's certainly a weak spot for Liverpool. And, you know, we've tried a few different things. We've tried to change the system, play a 4-2-3-1, certainly in the home games. And that's allowed Shaqiri to get a little bit more game time or Adam Lallana to get a little bit more game time. And, you know, Lallana, for me, I think he's finished, to tell you the truth. And again, you know, little injuries here, there and everywhere, which there's, there's no opportunity for him to get any momentum going because he's, he's in the side one week and then he's injured the next. So, you know, it's no good. He's no use to us, really, in that sense. And, you know, you're looking at Shaqiri and he, again, another one where he's in and out the side too often. He needs to be given a run of games. And we said that on the last podcast that, you know, we wanted them to start games and start that game. But then he's out the side, isn't he, again, against Paris. And, you know, it's frustrating for us as fans, but it must be frustrating for the player as well. And it's interesting to see if he starts the Merseyside derby, which I think he probably will do. But, you know, like I say, it's there's going to be a few changes. There's no doubt about it because Henderson got sent off against Watford, so he's suspended for the game. So that means there is an opportunity for someone to be given the chance in a midfield role and I do think we'll probably go 4-2-3-1. But, you know, we've left ourselves with a mountain to climb now in the Champions League. I mean, the way I look at it now, we got a little bit fortunate with Red Star getting that away goal in Naples because what it does now is we all had the belief of we need to win by two clear goals. But now things have changed a little bit, the permutation to it, because Liverpool can actually win 1-0. And the way it works is we'd match what Napoli done to us but because the goal difference would be the same, they're plus three at the moment, Liverpool are plus one. If we beat them one nil, that means we're both plus two with the swing. And then it means Liverpool would go through with on goals scored, which it's a mad permutation, but that's just the way it is. The only problem then is on the night, if Napoli do score, Liverpool need three. And we've been here before, another Anfield miracle night, which, you know, this Liverpool side's very capable of doing it, but I think last time it happened, it was against Olympiacos, who are not really the same calibre, I don't think, as this Napoli side. I think this, this Napoli team's very good and they've got a Champions League winning manager in Carlo Ancelotti. So, you know, the full of goals as well in the side he drew against Paris Saint-Germain, home and away. So, there's certainly no mugs. And as we've seen when we played them away in Naples, they're a very good side and they totally deserved the victory against us on the night. But, you know, Anfield does, does strange things to teams and players and, and you know, they, they seem to bottle it when they come to Anfield. So let's hope we have another Anfield miracle night and we get through, but it's going to be a tall order, isn't it, Peter? Yeah, most definitely. But one um, that we should all be looking forward to, like you say, a, a European night under the lights again. And um, fingers crossed we can all come together, the crowd team, management staff, and um, and put on the performance that we need. Right, okay then, uh, Tony, just uh, like to speak to you about the summer signings that Everton have made. Obviously, they brought in um, Yeri Mina, uh, Lucas Steen, at left back, um, Bernard and Richarlson, Gomez was another one into the um, into the midfield. Which of these players has um, been the, the standout performer for yourself, please, Tom? Um, well, the player that's made the, the most impact is probably Richarlson, I'd have to say. It's scary how, how good this lad is for he's only, only just reached 21 he's just even when he's not having the best of games the defence is just petrified to go anywhere near him because he can win a foul he can take two or three players on his finishing is exceptional his upper body strength is unbelievable and he can stick his foot in he's a really really good player and one Everton are lucky to have and eyebrows are raised in the summer including myself and many Liverpool and Everton's fans when the price tag was named a 40-odd million and everyone were wow for the 21-year-old who just played not even a quarter of a season, hadn't scored in six months, seven months. Everyone was questioning it, and rightly so. But, listen, you, you look at it now and you could easily easily make money on him now. That just shows you the nature of how transfers work at the moment. He's been an absolutely revelation for Everton. 
if you're looking in terms of the player that's that's excited me the most, I'd have to say Andre Gomez. And big shout to Luca Dinia, by the way. He's just forced Leighton Baines out of the team completely, which only goes to show how well he's performed. But Andre Gomez, for me, just dictates the way Everton play. He's so instrumental because Everton got off to a shaky start, as I mentioned before, in the campaign. And they didn't seem to have a ball player, someone who could get the head up and play a pass creative spark from midfield. He didn't have that. He had Morgan Schneider and he had Tom Davis. There was no one in that middle of the park that can create a goal and keep a calm head, composed in tight situations. And Andre Gomez has come in as if he'd been playing for Everton for two or three years. been absolutely superb. He dictates play. Don't forget, he was one sold for £40 million to Barcelona in the first place, so you've got to have something about you straight away. I know Gary Neville mentioned on co-commentary a couple of weeks ago, he really rates him and he thinks he could be fitted to play Premier League football, and it's just proven right now that how good of a footballer he is. One thing he has got in his locker is that he's always prepared to go forward and take a chance and gamble with a pass. He won't just go back from side to side and just for keeping possession sake. He will look to go forward and play that pass. That's what Everton have des- desperately craved for many years. When I look at I look at Everton over the years, especially going to Anfield, they've had just water carriers, so to speak, in the league. Carsley, your Thomas Gravisons, your James McCarthy's, your Garrett Barry's of the Wales, all players, but this lad is quality. And he's probably, I'd arguably say, he's the best midfielder I've seen in Everton shirt since Mikel Arteta. So the main, main players that Everton have bought in the summer, Andre Gomez is probably the best that I've, I've ever seen in a blue shirt out of three of them. Excellent stuff. Cheers, Tom. Okay, then back over to you, uh, Thomas. I'd like to ask you a little bit about the um, about the players in in the squad at Liverpool. From your, in your opinion, which of the players have in, improved the most from from your coaching? Yeah, of course, I can't really tell uh, all the secrets from from the team and the coaching, but uh, it's yeah. obvious that uh, that Joe Gomez uh, has improved a lot. Uh, he uh, he had a, a very good throw in before, but now it's it's world class. And and even even though we uh, we aren't uh, doing uh, a lot of long throw-ins in Liverpool, it's it's still very important to have this uh, set piece weapon. And when we're not doing it, uh, it's also important because uh, the opponents will will often be afraid to to uh, shoot it out over the sideline. So so that's a good thing. But if you have to look at improvement, it's it's just as important or even more important to look at the improvements the players uh, have made when we have a throw in under pressure. And of course, I can't tell. Uh, of course, I can't tell what we're doing and and the things. But but um, I think that that as I think it uh, it it was Robo who said that uh, in the press or so that that uh, when we have a throw in now we are we are really focused and, and knowing what to do so uh, so so i think that that's the the most important improvement for me that that i can see that the whole team are, are switched on when when we have a throw in and i'll say with 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 the throw in some i'm very satisfied and so we have brought it i think to another other level with with all those throw in so um yeah yeah, and just a, a little bit about your your actual role um, at the club, Thomas. Do you do you go in a couple of times a week, or is it like um, is it a monthly basis? How often are you are you at Melwood involved in the the training schedule? Yeah, I've, I've been uh, at Melwood uh, uh, four times a week. So um, and I, and I hope to do a fifth week here in 2018, and then I made a new contract for. For for the second half of the season, I hope to to come there even off. I have a, a big challenge here in Denmark because I'm I'm speaking approximately fifty times here in Denmark. I'm a motivational speaker, so it was a little bit of a challenge with the schedule. But but even all the weeks I haven't been at at Melwood, I've been analyzing uh, every game, every attacking, and every defending throw in uh, from the whole season. And then I. I Make a throw-in uh, analysis and, and and send the report to uh, to uh, to Jurgen and, and the rest of the staff. So when I'm not in in uh, at Melwood or in Liverpool, I'm I'm working and also I'm working tonight with with the game uh, against PSG. Yeah, is that is that something that um, Jurgen himself will, will look over it as well? Will he will he analyze the the throw-in situation? Will he will he take that into account within the the manner of the defeat? Yeah, 
of course uh, he 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 look at the things I'm I'm sending and of course I'm not sending a you know a, a three hour analysis I try to because we, now we have worked so long we we've been working since the mid of July and now we we talked about a lot of things so so it's primarily highlights I'll typically send perhaps six eight or ten highlights from a game and and try to to put the focus on on what we have to do in the next game what we did well and what we didn't do so well so um that's the way it is so so we i try to do it pretty uh, efficient so it's also um yeah useful in 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 the daily training brilliant thanks for your insight there thomas okay then Jay, back over to yourself. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, Jordan Henderson. He, he splits uh, opinion amongst Liverpool fans, doesn't he? He gets a lot of bad press, and then you get other other fans who stick up for him. And all you see after the game is Henderson statistics. If you go on Twitter, you see little videos of him doing a sideways pass or a backwards pass. Um, he came in for a little bit of criticism for his red card against Watford. Like you said, it was possibly a little bit unfair. Um, and he also got a lot of stick for his performance against PSG last night, where um, pretty much the whole of the midfield, to be honest, was, was anonymous. But um, he was another one singled out. What's your thoughts on Henderson's future as a Liverpool player and uh, um, and Liverpool captain? Well, it's funny you should ask this, because I had this conversation with Tony, actually, about a week or two ago, um, about when you look at Liverpool's midfield players... I do think he, he he's still quite important, really. I mean, Jürgen Klopp is no mug, and it's obvious that he still believes that he's got a future at the club. He's still an important part of the, the squad. My own personal opinion on it all is, I mean, I do see, see that as well, but in terms of being a starter and a regular and playing week in, week out, and basically being the captain of, of the team, I, I just I just think the team's it's it sort of like evolved a little bit more now, and to me he shouldn't really be a regular. He shouldn't be a starter. It, the problem you've got is all the other midfield players that Liverpool have got are any of them that much better than them? And that's the question you've got to ask when you get all these stats thrown at you and you get all these clips thrown at you and when you watch it with your own eyes, to me it looks like he his legs have gone which I don't know whether it's because he's carrying an injury, he's got a niggle here and there because he has had a lot of injuries in his career, hasn't he? Or it's something more that goes a bit deeper than that and he's got a, a, an underlying problem where he's just he's not the same player anymore. It's weird. I mean, I go back to the first game at Anfield against Paris Saint-Germain and the amount of times Neymar was just leaving him for dead and he had a couple of yards start on him and he'd just go past him as though he wasn't there. And, and similar things were happening... In the part of France as well the other night, and you know, in in league games, he seems to be really angry. I mean, I thought it was harsh to send it off against Watford because, as I say, the first book shouldn't have been in a book, and it should have been a Liverpool free kick, getting the shirt ripped off his back by that success. And you know, it was foolish what he'd done at the end. But you know, I, I just, I just think the team may may have evolved where we need better than Henderson, and he's not going to play at the weekend because he's suspended and. A lot of people seem to be happy with that. But I do look at it and I say, is Milner much better than him? Is, is Gini Wijnaldum much better than him? It's all about the role that you play in the team, really. I mean, you can't fault the fact that the lad's a fantastic professional. It's obvious that he is because Jürgen Klopp's been at the club now, hasn't he? You know, over three years and he's still stood by him as his captain. He's never changed it. And we all know deep down the captain of the club should really be Virgil van Dijk now because he's certainly a leader on the pitch. And I know it sounds mad because he's only really been at the club less than 12 months, but it's just everything that he gives you on the football pitch. I mean, he's captain of his country as well. He leads by example. He's a man mountain at the back, as we always say. He's a Rolls Royce, isn't he? It's no coincidence that ever since he's been at the club, I think Liverpool have kept 50% of, of clean sheets in Premier League games and you know, we've conceded five goals all season in 13 Premier League matches so far and Virgil van Dijk's been instrumental in that. You know, you know, he's the leader. There's no two ways about it. But Jordan Henderson's kept the armbands. So when he plays games, he's the captain. And, and Jürgen Klopp's, he's just never changed it because he knows that he's a fantastic professional, great with all the other players, brilliant in the dressing room. 
And when it comes to being on the pitch, though, as a footballer, it's just not quite the same, is it? And it's frustrating, really, to see because he's just signed a new contract as well. So I don't know. It's it's a very difficult and delicate sort of subject, isn't it? Because it doesn't half divide opinion with the Liverpool fan base. It really does. But I just think until we get better players in them in the areas that he plays and the the area the team where he performs, then. You know, what do you do? Because, as we've already said, the likes of Fabinho and the likes of Cater have struggled to adapt, have struggled to settle at the club and to the new country and to the new league, the new environments. And they just don't look ready. They just don't really look good enough. And, and I take on board that they need more games and they need a run of games. But if you're not playing well, then, you know, why do you warrant getting a game? I mean, you know, Cater has been so frustrating. I thought he was going to tear this league up. I thought he was going to be sensational. And he started off OK. And then he had a little bit of a dip. Then he had an injury. And then he got back into the team. And he got another injury. Everything's been disjointed with him. And stop start, if you like. And with Fabinho, he had to wait a long time to get his opportunity. He was given an opportunity. Done all right in patches. But like I say, it sticks in my mind. That Arsenal game away at the Emirates. He was absolutely horrendous. He looked like a, an amateur, really. He was that bad. He was so slow. And, and you know, there's all the talk that the potential for him to leave in January. Now, I know Klopp's come out and dismissed it and said, you know, it's nonsense. But you just never know, do you? I mean, it, it is quite clear to see he's struggling. And, you know, if if Liverpool's midfield is as poor as like what a lot of people think it is, then he should have been playing a hell of a lot more than what he has been playing, really. And, you know, it's a, it's a struggle. The middle of the park for Liverpool really is a struggle. And, you know, he's tried to change the system, as we said before, a 4-2-3-1. And it's not certain, certain, it's not really suiting certain types of personnel, is it? Now, you know, with Henderson, I just think, like I say, it's a very, very difficult and, and it divides opinion. And, and to me, I, I don't think he should be starting games, but we don't have that problem at the weekend because, you know, we've, we've got the Mayside derby and he's suspended for it. So we'll be looking elsewhere for the personnel. Peter, can I give you an opinion from an outside perspective on Jordan? Of course, you can. So, yeah, go on, pal. Yeah, I, I think me personally gets a rough rise off some Liverpool fans. Now, from an Evertonian perspective, I I was happy that he, he's missing the game now because I think he plays a huge influence in Liverpool's midfield. Now, I look at the midfielders that Liverpool have got. You've got Wijnaldum, you've got Milner, Fabinho, Keita. In my opinion, Henderson's better than all four of them at the moment. He really is, and I think. It, listen, I think Jay was a bit critical of saying like Neymar was flying past him in PSG. Listen, Neymar flies past 99% of midfielders. That's just how good he is. We don't like the other sides of him yet. Yeah, don't get me wrong, but I think Neymar does that to most midfielders. The thing about Henderson, if he was to be playing on Sunday, he'd be playing a huge influence on the referee. He always surrounds and plays a huge part in that role. I think he's Harry in his present. He can play a 30-yard pass. We've seen that yesterday. Next minute, you know, long ball over the top, right to Salah's foot, and he was nearly through on goal. He's got that in his locker. And I think he's one of them players that you'd realise when he's not there, you'll miss him big time. And I just think Jordan Henderson's massively underestimated, and he's the best midfielder that Liverpool have got. And I'm I'm happy that he's out the team on Sunday, because I think Everton have got a better chance with him out the team than what they have with him. Yeah, I'm pretty much in in the middle. I'm the typical I don't, I'm either way. Sometimes he, he plays well. Sometimes he has he has a poor game. But one thing you did say there, Tom, is like he is missed when when he's not there because it proved that in the 2014-15 season when we were going for the title, he got sent off against Manchester City, and we missed him for the next three games. Chelsea, um, Crystal Palace, and he was flying at the time, and obviously we went on to to have that dip in form, didn't we? And and we didn't go on to lift the title. So. Um, I agree with you. I think he's a good player on his day. He can he can pr- pick them passes out. He can run the game. Other times he can look as if he, he's a League One player. So he, he splits opinion right down the middle. And um, yeah, I think he'll be a be a miss myself again on um, on Sunday. Well, let's get back over to yourself, uh, Thomas. Just a, a little one about the uh, the day to day training at Liverpool and. Um, Touching on a bit about Jurgen Klopp, does he get involved heavily involved in the sessions himself, or is, does he let the staff um, lead the sessions? How does how does it work at, at Melwood in in the training sessions? Please, Thomas. Oh yeah, he, he's uh, 
participating sometimes, and sometimes he's uh, uh, looking at it. That, that that's very different. But the thing I like is that that uh, he's very uh, involved in the training. But but I think that everybody in Liverpool uh, they're very involved uh, in the club. So uh, and I think that's one of the things. Um, that's fantastic about working at Liverpool FC, and it doesn't matter if it's it's the staff, uh, you know, with with the with the coaches, with Jurgen, with the physiotherapists, with the analyzing people, with with the people who make the food. People are so friendly. People are so involved, and and I think, um, yeah, that's the reason why why I love to work at Liverpool FC. And I I got the feeling that if some if somebody had and uh, some knowledge that other uh, people can use, then people are very open-minded, people are willing to listen, they're willing to help each other. So so in general, people are very involved. Yeah, and, and just uh, on the on the on the squad itself, what what's the um, what's the feeling around the squad? Is the morale high in the team? Are they looking to to push on again this season? Um, what what's the feeling within the squad? It's a little bit hard for me to say because I've been in the club uh, four times one week this season, so I can't really tell it's different than than any other years. So I'll just say that uh, people are in general uh, positive. People are in a good mood. There are, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it's it's a fantastic feeling to be in there's a great atmosphere. So, um, but I can't really say if it's better or worse or something like that compared to other seasons or compared to other periods. So, yeah, I think you have to ask uh, someone else about that. Yeah, not a problem at all. Thanks, Thomas. Yeah, and just just one other thing um, I've noticed with, with the, the training sessions, like on the, on the Twitter feeds and things like that, sometimes they train... Of a night, sometimes it's rained during the day. Is that to um, match up with the, the time of, of the next game? Is that something that Jürgen does? He he trains at the time of the approaching game. I'll, I'll just say that I, ha- I haven't really got any knowledge or enough knowledge about that to say if it's a thing. I think you you have to to ask uh, you know uh, other kind of staff to uh, or people at the club to to say anything about that. So yeah, perhaps. But I can't really say so. Yeah, not a problem. Cheers, Thomas. Okay, then um, Jay and Tony, I'd just like to get your thoughts looking towards the derby on on this coming Sunday. Um, first of all, Jay, how do you think Jurgen's going to play this one tactically? What formation do you see, and what's what's your predicted starting lineup, please, Jay? Well, I think in in the home games he's been playing the four two three one system, hasn't he? Because you know, I think it's all about trying to find that little bit more creativity in the middle to link the midfield to the attack because we've certainly missed the likes of Oxley Chamberlain. I mean, last season we had Coutinho, didn't we, until the end of December time before he left for Barcelona and Liverpool were scoring goals for fun, weren't we, with him in the side because he's very creative. And after that, you know, Oxley Chamberlain got his opportunity from, say, the end of January onwards and he's done really well. I mean, I, I was a little bit on the fence about Oxlade Chamberlain when Liverpool signed him for forty million pounds with one year left on his contract. I thought he seemed a lot of money really. He's never really I didn't think he was great whenever I'd seen him play for Arsenal. He's mainly used as a as a right wing back really, wasn't he? And for England he sort of like flattered to deceive. He was good some games, but you know, out the game quite a lot, you know, ineffective and I wasn't too keen when we signed him, but he proved me wrong because I thought he was fantastic them last couple of months of last season, very instrumental in quite a lot of games. And now we're seeing it, aren't we, when he got injured in that semi-final game at Anfield against Roma in the Champions League. You know, Liverpool have an half missed him, and it's very evident now in this Liverpool team because, you know, we certainly lack creativity, really, and, you know, we've got no one who can link that midfield to attack, and he's tried to change the system, mix it up a little bit with the 4-2-3-1, which allows for the likes of someone like a Lalana or a Shakiri to come into the side and sort of, like, try to influence the game a little bit and create, you know, be a creative spark, and... You know, the problem with that, though, it's changed system in the sense of it's changed personnel as well because Salah's been used more as, as a centre-forward, hasn't he? Um, and Firmino's had to drop deeper. And as we said before, I thought he was very good against uh, Watford at the weekend, just gone. 
but majority of this season he's been very poor and it's just not suited him. He struggled to adapt really. He's looked very tired and fatigued in games and he's not like pressing. He's not working as hard as what we, we become accustomed to really last season. And, you know, I, I think I could probably count on one hand the amount of good performances he's had this season. You know, I said about the, the Watford game, he played well against Spurs as well at Wembley after the international break back in September time. And I think he was quite good in a home game in Southampton or maybe Cardiff as well. Other than that, he's really struggled. It's just not the Firmino that we've been used to. And I think a large part of that has been down to the system change. It just hasn't really suited them. He, he, he's, he's dropping deeper to get more involved in the game and it's just not really suiting them at all. And, you know, that's the problem we've got, really. We need him to find his form. I mean, I think people were concerned in the early part of the season about Mo Salah. His form wasn't quite the same, was it? You know, it was a little bit of a World Cup hangover. But when you look at Salah, I mean, we've had 13 Premier League games this season. and He's actually scored the first goal in six of them games. Now, that's quite remarkable, really. I think he's got seven Premier League goals all told as well. And, you know... It's not bad as if for someone who's being labelled a one-season wonder. But, I mean, I do think he's still not quite up to the levels that we want from him from last season. But he's certainly getting there. Sadio Mane, he's been quite good, hasn't he, this season in patches. He's been, like, at the very start of the season, he certainly was our best player. He was scoring goals for fun. I think he's got seven Premier League goals as well now. Salah's caught up with him a little bit, but... You know, we aren't quite clicking, we're not quite firing the way we were last season. Certainly not on all cylinders the way we were scoring goals for fun, giving hidings to teams and, you know, we're just waiting, aren't we, for this one game where Liverpool do click and we give someone a hiding and, you know, I do think this derby game, in a way, the last derby game at Anfield, well, obviously the league game was horrendous really. I mean, Everton just didn't even get out their own half for about 70 minutes. It was men against boys really and it was just, it was awful to watch because Liverpool were, you know, we were in control of the game but we didn't really create as many opportunities as what we had been doing because Everton just sat in and we just, we couldn't really break them down. We were struggling and yeah, okay, we could have been 2 or 3 nil up before Lovren gave away that, the penalty for the foul on Calvert-Lewin and Everton stole a point really but that's what happens if you don't put teams to bed you end up you know there's always that opportunity that someone will get a chance and he'll punish you and that's exactly what happened in that game I do think now I mean even the derby at Goodison Liverpool had half a team out because it was in sandwiched in between the two Champions League games each Manchester City and for about 70 minutes Liverpool were in control and they brought Calvert-Lewin on and changed the game a little bit and Everton nearly won it at the end but you know, you never really try and win the game against Liverpool, certainly not at Anfield. And I am expecting a slightly, a little bit of a change in mentality, if you like. They've got a new manager now with a fresh approach, new ideas, plays football the right way, easy on the eye. They've got some new players as well. Go footballers as well, to be fair. I mean, I know they had Sigurdsson last season, but they've actually got a few players who you could actually look at now and say, they could be match winners, like Richarlison. I think a very good signing. People might have mocked the signing of £45 million in the summer, someone who hadn't scored a goal the calendar year. But to be fair, he's a 21-year-old Brazilian. We all know he's, he's got ability. I mean, I don't know why anyone would knock that signing. I, I certainly didn't. And he's proved so far he's settled quite well at Everton, scored quite a few goals and looked very dangerous in his new role as a centre-forward. Strong as an ox for the 21-year-old kid. Um, and then, like I say, Gomez looks a decent player in the middle of the park. And they've also got pace now as well with Walcott and Luckman if he gets brought on off the bench. So, you know, Liverpool, I've got a little bit more to worry about with Everton this time around. But I do think it should suit us. I really do because I just think if they're going to have more of a go against Liverpool, then that should be right up our street because Liverpool, there's no better team in world football Liverpool when it comes to counter-attack and football. Now, we haven't really seen it much this season. Let's hope we see it on Sunday. And there's a chance of it. I mean, there really is. I mean, I don't think Everton are going to come and be gung-ho, though. They're not foolish. They know Liverpool have got quality all over the park. And if they do go gung-ho and leave themselves open and they overcommit, if you like, then Liverpool will just pick them off. So I think they're going to be a little bit cuter than that. They're going to be a little bit trying to be a little bit more clever, but with the notion that they have got players that can probably hurt us. But look, this Liverpool team doesn't tend to concede goals at Anfield. I mean, 
He conceded one against Cardiff. Before that, I think the last time he conceded at Anfield was February against um, West Ham and Michael Antonio. So Liverpool just don't concede goals at Anfield. So if Everton are going to come to Anfield and think that they're going to, you know, have a good goal at us and score a few goals, then, you know, I think they'd be in for a surprise because Liverpool are very, very tight at the back. We all know how good Van Dijk is. Alisson's been a great sign as well, very good goalkeeper. So, you know, I'm just open for a, a more of an entertaining game, if you like. And if Everton do try and have a go, then hopefully Liverpool will pick them off. I am expecting goals, but, um, you know, like I say, I think there'll be a few changes. Henderson suspended. I think Shakiri will probably come into the midfield. It's just very interesting to see whether it's Milner and Wijnaldum or he opts to go with Keita or Fabinho. I think the rest of the team, really, I mean, Joe Gomez has got to go back centre-half for me to partner Van Dijk. Since Alexander-Arnold, I've criticised him a little bit for his defensive displays this season, but the lad's in a little bit of form now. I mean, he scored for England, didn't he? Um, that international game. He also scored against Watford last week. He was rested for the game in midweek against Paris Saint-Germain. So for me, with it being a derby game, there's no reason why he shouldn't come back into the side at right back. Joe Gomez to go centre half with Van Dijk. Um, as I say, Robertson left back, Allison in goal. And the front three pick, pick itself really, doesn't it? I think Shaqiri should start if we go 4-2-3-1. And then the dilemma then is who are the midfield two? If, whether it be Milner and Wijnaldum or is it one or the other two Cater or Fabinho that's the only dilemma for me because Liverpool have got issues in the middle as we know but you know I think it'll be a 4-2-3-1 system and I'm expecting goals Great stuff Cheers Jay oh yeah just one the same thing for you uh, please Tony what's your thoughts on how's Marco Silva going to approach this game tactically and uh, what's what's your predicted starting 11 please um, I think he'll approach it like he did against Manchester United and Chelsea, where against United they were very unfortunate not to come away with the results. He took that over to Stamford Bridge, where they come away with a nil-nil draw, which they are very good at. What I've noticed, and which um, I think Jimmy Gallagher pointed out in the co-commentary, that they're very confident on the ball, this Everton team, in tight situations. So where you're getting the ball off Pickford away at Stamford Bridge and... I don't know if there's an Amarata chasing yet or a Hazard pressing yet. They are quite comfortable playing out from the back. Now, what I've noticed more than anything is that the, this team that Everton will probably play against, against Liverpool on Sunday, they haven't got the baggage and the mindset of being perennial bottlers when it comes to going over to Anfield. I've seen quality Everton teams in the past just literally freeze on the big stage when it comes to this fixture and Anfield. Now, let's take it into context. The, 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 the starting lineup that I fully expect would be Jordan Pickford in goal. Now, Jordan Pickford, obviously, he has got no mentality block when it comes to big games. You've seen how well he performed in the World Cup in the summer. So he doesn't care who he comes up against. Now, there's going to be one David Moyes signing, so I expect that'll be Seamus Coleman. Now, the back, the back, the centre-back pairing, I fully expect it to be Yerry Mina and Michael Keane. Now, Keir Zuma will count himself unlucky that he's been playing well this season. Obviously, he couldn't play against Chelsea's parent club. And he's had to miss out. Yeri Mean has come in, done really well, and he'll probably keep his place, which probably leave Luca Dean to play left back as well. So that thing, I think the back four and the back five picks itself. The centre midfield pairing will probably be Andre Gomez and it's just a Ghana guy. And then obviously in the midfield ahead of them, you've got Gilfie Sigurdsson, who just plays an instrumental role in how Everton are going to approach games, especially away at the big games. Sigurdsson scored some big goals away from home. And I think, if my memory serves me right, he's already scored four or five goals at Anfield alone himself in previous games. He scored in the Cup last year. He scored a couple for Swansea, and I know he's scored one for Reading. So he knows how to do it over there at Anfield. And then he's spoiled for choice on either wing. You've got Bernard. Walcott, Luckman, he can even play with Charlton there. So what I'm trying to say is that with the mindset Everton have gone over to Anfield in years gone by and absolutely froze under Martinez and Moyes and Cumin, a lot of these players won't have that mindset because they don't know any other way. I'm pretty sure they could be seven as much as eight Derby debutants on Sunday. So they won't know any other way of the way Everton approach these type of games. So I think that will only help Everton when it comes to this type of fixture. So I think the conundrum Everton, Marco Silva has got is that if he does play with Richarlison up front, he may not get much change out of Virgil van Dijk because we know how good he is, which may persuade him to go elsewhere and put Richarlison on the left and maybe a counter-attack Trent Arnold because... 
by all accounts, he hasn't had the best of seasons so far. And I don't think he'd be venturing past the halfway line if he knew he had the Charlotte and Mark. So I think that's a conundrum that Marco Silva will come across. And then he may play Dominic Calvin in up front, who will chase the channel. So I think it is... To be, if you were to press me, I think Everton will go unchanged, and I think they'll they'll have their ammunition on the bench. The, the squad is really good at the moment. There is no injury worries, and which I think Everton will get a good result on Sunday. I really do on the basis of that. There's no mentality block, and there's no injury worries. I think a, a stat that come out at me today is that Seamus Coleman plays at Anfield for the third time in his career. Everton had numerous injury worries going into this type of fixture in many years. I know we've. Put up, patched up sides, we put midfielders up front. There's no excuse for Everton. And it'll be nice for Everton fans to go over. Listen, we're not expecting, whichever one away you dress it up, Liverpool are top quality team, regardless of the, regardless of whether they're our rivals or not. They're a very good team and they're the second best team in the league, in my opinion. So take all that away from it. I want to see how far Everton have come under Marco Silva. We've seen how well they've performed at the Emirates, at Old Trafford and at Stamford Bridge. Now let's do it to our neighbours and see how, how we can bridge that gap because Jürgen Klopp's been at Liverpool three or four years. Marco Silva's been at Everton three or four months. I want to see Everton go toe-to-toe like they did with Chelsea and perform really well and I fully expect that. Brilliant stuff. Cheers, Toe. Right, yeah, just the last one for you, uh, Thomas, before we um, play our, our music for the, for the end of the show. Just... Um, Tell us a little bit about uh, your world record, please, and um, the longest throw, and how did all that come about? Yeah, in, um, I started as a throwing coach in 2004, and then in uh, 2008, I thought, hey, it could be pretty cool to have the world uh, longest throwing. And um, yeah, uh, I thought it, it could be, of course, uh, cool, cool itself, but it was would also be good for my uh, throwing coaching company. <laughs> So at that time, there was a official Guinness World Record at 48.17 meters set by Mike Lochner from uh, the States. And I could, at that time, I could throw approximately 42, 43 meters. So, but I also knew that I couldn't really improve that because I was strong and had a good technique. So I saw a thing called a flip throwing and that's where you are making a run in. Then you are jumping down on the ball, making a flip landing and then throwing the ball. But the challenge was that I, uh, I'm a non-gymnast and uh, for a lot of years I've been weighing approximately 100 kilos. So I had to uh, do it, yeah, right from the start. So, um, But it was cool. I learned it and I had a world record attempt at uh, the national match between Denmark and Spain 2008 and also had a record attempt in 2009 uh, in the match between Hertha Berlin and Wolfsburg at the Olympic Stadium in Berlin with uh, 40,000 spectators. But then in 2009, there was a guy uh, from England, Danny Brooks. He he uh, broke the world record with a throw of uh, 49.78. And that was uh, very frustrating because I was beginning to throw uh, 46, 47 meters in training. And then I thought I was very frustrated. I thought about making a world record attempt at, at the West Coast in Denmark with uh, 25, 30 meters per second. But uh, when I thought again, hey, it wouldn't be good, so... Then I used the uh, thought, hey, what, what is my biggest challenge? And that was to, to hold on to the ball. So I tried, why not use this, this sticky stuff they use in handball, if, if everybody knows the handball sport. Um, but but it was taking too much. So I was really frustrated what could help me. So um, one, one Friday evening, I was sitting uh, at my living room, and I have two kids called uh, Isabella and Daniel. And every Friday night, they've seen a children's television program in Denmark called Disney Show. And they've always been eating candy. And, and then suddenly, when I was sitting at the couch, uh, Isabella was going uh, past me. And I, I touched her fingers. I don't know why, but I could feel that they were only sticky in a moderate way. So I contacted a, a, a program on the Danish national television called Samsumar. That's a program for kids. And I asked them if we shouldn't try to uh, to measure what kind of sticky stuff is best when you do make a flip throw in. So together with some kids, I had three balls and I put uh, prunes and uh, licorice and uh, sweets on each ball. And then I had a standing throw in with uh, each ball and then... I had a flip throw in with the winner and that was licorice. So since then I've always been using licorice when I make world record attempts. And, and that meant that in, 
April 2010, I, I, I made a 47.00 world record attempt. Then in May 2010, I was throwing 48.60. That was over the old world record, but still got, still a meter from the new. And then in June uh, 2010, I was so lucky or, or, or good to, to set a new official Guinness World Record with a 51.33 meters. Wow, interesting stuff. Yeah. Fantastic, Thomas. Right, okay, just before we... Um Introduce the band. Just one more thing. So, give us your um, your your better the week for our for our listeners, please. Yeah, what I've watched in the last couple of games for Everton is Yeri Mina, and he's come into the team and he's done really well. But there's a bit of a nasty side to him, as we've seen in the World Cup. He's very influential from set pieces, and the two games that I've witnessed him in Everton shirt, he was booked against Chelsea. Which for him, to be fair to him, he won the ball. And in this day and age, you can't come off the floor, can you? But he did, and he, he was booked. And he was in a bit of a set two last weekend with, with cards of Patterson. Now, Patterson's obviously a right back playing up front, and he got involved in a bit of a, it was handbags really off the pitch. And you can see that type of player that he's going to leave his foot in or get, get distracted elsewhere. And I think with Liverpool's front three, if one, if, if one or two of them do click, he could may send him elsewhere, to be honest, and he could come in with a bit of a rash challenge. So he's five to two to be booked, but don't be surprised if he even gets on the end of a goal because he come close to scoring in his, the goal against, uh, last week against Cardiff, and he come close against Chelsea. So he's sixteen to one to score any time, and he's five to two to be booked. I think he'll have a say in either end of the pitch, to be honest, in this um, week's Merseyside derby. Great stuff. Cheers, so Right. Yeah, okay yeah. then. Lads, just before we go, I'm going to introduce the, the music of the band that's been in, in touch with us on Twitter this week. The band that are from the Liverpool area, they're called Seatbelts. They can follow, you can follow them on Twitter at Seatbelts Music. They've, um, they've got a decent following and it looks like they're a bit of an up and coming band in the music industry. So the song I'm going to play for you tonight is called Content Crush. From the seatbelts. I'm coming down just now. My head was up in the cloud. It didn't feel like coming down. But you are the city. empty again, now you're begging to be pulled out from the rush, just in time before the content crush, sleep past breakfast, sleep until the next time, well we missed the best century, being busy for busy sake. Or at least that's what they say empty again, now you're begging to be pulled out from the rush, just in time before the content crush, sleep past breakfast, sleep until the next turn.
And that song was called Content Crush from Seatbelts. So that's our Merseyside Derby preview all done. Thanks very much to Jay Riley, Tony Scott and LFC throwing coach Thomas Gronemark for joining us on the cop table. Thanks very much, guys. Very welcome. Welcome. All the best, lads. Enjoy the game. Cheers, Jay. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you very much. So that's the cop table preview of the Merseyside Derby all done. We'll be back next week with our next preview, Premier League preview podcast. Thanks very much, everybody, for listening and goodbye. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated, and right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us. With whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type 2 collagen, make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie and tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Sports Social Podcast Network.